This podcast is brought to you by Premiere, the UK's leading Christian media organisation. As we approach the end of our financial year, we want to remind you that podcasts like this are only possible due to the generosity of supporters like you. You could help reach millions of people throughout the year through shows just like this. Make your best gift today at premierchristianradio.plus. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello, I'm Tim Farron, and welcome to the show which delves into the mucky business of politics through the eyes of Christians. Now, you might think that politics is tainted by compromise and sin. And well, yes, you would be right. But then again, so is everything else. And I think we should be praying in an informed way for our brothers and sisters who operate in the world of politics. Today, we'll be joined by the returning Dr. Lisa Cameron MP for East Kilbride, Strathavon and Les Mahargo. Since she last joined us, she switched parties from the SNP to the Conservatives. We'll find out why and talk about how her faith drove that decision. But before that, this is a war against an enemy owned by the British government, while we're just skint little people. This line, spoken by Alan Bates, played by Toby Jones on ITV's Mr Bates versus the Post Office, sums up the Post Office scandal that has been dominating the news this week. It's taken a TV drama to bring this scandal the attention it deserves. Let's be really honest, it's taken the TV drama and the ensuing urgent government action last week to make it to this podcast. The impact of a TV drama on real-life politics is not a new phenomenon. Cathy Come Home, Hillsborough, the murder of Stephen Lawrence, Bloody Sunday. These dramas all brought what were once news stories, bulletins that at most might have elicited a tut and a isn't it terrible, before the next distraction came to the news cycle, into a humanised story. When written well, they force us to consider that this injustice could have happened to us, or our partner, our children, or our community. It was watching Cathy come home as a 14-year-old that brought me to angry tears and spurred me to my first political action. It is stories that grab our attention and consciences by the scruff of our necks, until now, it was difficult to convey the public scale of this scandal. The post office describes each local post office branch on its website as anchors of the community. Many sub-postmasters, the managers of these post office branches, were falsely trialled for theft or false accounting when a widespread computer bug left their cash-up balances often thousands of pounds in the red. Upon begging the post office for help in their moment of desperate confusion, they all reported being told the same haunting lie. You are the only ones this has happened to. The post office left them entirely responsible for the missing money, often upwards of £50,000. Needless to say, that this led to shop closures, loss of livelihoods, bankruptcy and debt, loss of good community reputations, criminal charges, loss of marriages, loss of freedoms, loss of life. Many went to prison, including a pregnant mother, at least four committed suicide. In my constituency, I've worked with two victims of the scandal over the last few years. However, with the airing of the drama, three more local sub-postmasters have come forward just last week, one of them still serving, who had just made up the erroneous shortfalls from their savings and kept it to themselves, suffering in silence until now. It is a damning indictment of our political and legal culture, that the benefit of the doubt was consistently given to the big voices, the post office executives, Fujitsu PR reps, rather than to the skint little people, those whose lives were ruined through no fault of their own. 
How many of these grave institutional injustices and scandals rumble on in the background today? How many more will never get a TV drama? The 20 years of evidence is mounting up, represented by a loft full of phone bills and transcripts in the TV drama. But even that won't give evidence of the years of dark thoughts, the crushing shame and emotional turbulence many went through. After all, can any amount of compensation money pay back the decades lost? Can any amount of apologies and OBEs handed back bring real justice? They help, but it's only a step. If there really is a God of justice and truth, who knows and sees everything, then there is a peace to be found in him. Jesus knows exactly what it was to be falsely accused and to lose everything despite living in total innocence. We should thank God that no dishonest act, no lie against us, no undocumented detail of scandal goes unseen and unacknowledged by him. The outcry over this scandal shows our innate desire for justice to be done. I'm afraid it also shows our innate desire to displace blame and to find scapegoats. This should be a reminder for those of us in politics to never take an institution's word for granted over the word of little people, no matter how good that institution's reputation. A reminder, too, that we should look to our own culpability before we try to find someone else to blame. It's been a humbling privilege to support victims in my own constituency, but all the same, I ask myself whether I could have done more. Let's pray that legal justice might be brought in full for all who need it and that the countless legal hurdles to progress are swiftly dismantled. Finally, let's pray that the trauma of the years lost might begin to be healed and that God might grant all of us a greater compassion and a practical desire for justice. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Well, today we're joined by the returning Dr. Lisa Cameron, MP for East Kilbride, Straven and Lesma Hago. Uh, welcome, Lisa. How are you? Hi, Tim. No, I'm I'm doing uh, quite well. Uh, Happy New Year to you and thank you for having me on your show. Um, I had a, a, a difficult year last year and uh, looking forward to positivity this year and continuing to work on the disability all party group uh, that I've chaired for a long time as you know. Well Lisa yeah happy new year to you it is absolutely wonderful to have you you back and and as you hinted um, 2023 was quite tumultuous for you I mean you um, were an SNP MP last time we had you on the show and you made what must have been a, a huge and difficult decision for you to switch parties in October and now sit as a Conservative. How have the last three months been for you since that happened? Yeah, it's really been a, a sort of process of, of healing for me. Um, you know, it, it was widely reported and, well, I've worked in mental health most of my life, so I'm not embarrassed about um, the fact that, you know, being in the SNP towards the end in particular, um, I found quite distressing in a number of ways. Um, in relation to um, different aspects that, that we couldn't agree on, such as um, conscience issues, uh, the GRR um, bill that had gone through uh, the Scottish Parliament, um, and issues of um, sexual abuse in, in in the Parliament. And I'd always worked with victims, so I always had a, a victim approach in, in, in that sense um, and wanted to lead with that. Um, so, I mean, it, it was a huge decision, as you say, but 
I ended up, my own mental health was being impacted and um, I had around 12 months of, um, in fact, a bit more than that when we looked at the records um, of counselling from the welfare services in Westminster. Um, and my GP had um, felt that I needed antidepressant medication and really things came to head and those involved in my life, my family, um, healthcare professionals had said, look, um, you really need to, to change your circumstances. Um, and now um, I finished counselling. Um, it was a very positive experience for me. Um, you know, an excellent service actually um, that was given and I'm no longer um, requiring the antidepressant medication. And so I feel that you know, I'm I'm becoming myself again, and mm -hmm. it's really important to be true to yourself in in that way in in politics, but also in life in general. Yeah. Well, look, we'll explore maybe um, your motivations for moving parties. I guess it seems to me from what you said, there were both personal and political reasons as to uh, policy reasons as to why you you went from the SNP to the Scottish Conservatives. But clearly, it's been deeply difficult for you. Personally, and I've observed at close hand over the years, people who have moved parties and whatever people think, it's, it's a brave thing to do. How has your faith helped you and impacted on A, the decision in the first place and B, on you coming to terms with it since? Well, I mean, I suppose for me, the two sort of bedrocks of my identity and, and who I am are, you know, faith and, and my family. Um, so I have strong roots in both. Um, and those have been tremendous supports throughout this journey. And um, yeah, and and I, I think having incongruence there as well for a long period of time was, was not helpful um, in terms of, of well-being as I described but also just in you know in terms of some of the policy issues too so so I've had tremendous support from family um and you know that's I think sometimes we underestimate in in life um the value of of family and and I feel that you know family-based policies are very important um in politics and and as you say faith i've actually had tremendous support um from a number of individuals from different faiths who've contacted me to um you know support my decision and 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 to say um you know whether or not they they agree with positions um or not that um as you say, it's a brave thing to do and and that they're praying for me i actually have a number of individuals who have Giving such strength, keeping in touch with me from from different faith backgrounds who who have been offering prayers, which has been really very uplifting, and and I'm very thankful for that support too. Yeah, Elisa, first of all, we we've we've been praying for you as well, and I think that one thing that does strike me, obviously, you, you talked about some of the personal issues in other places. You've talked about uh, bullying, really, in a toxic culture within. Um, the SNP in, in Parliament, but you also talked about differences of opinion on things like gender recognition, and you talked about conscience issues more generally. And, and I, I, I will certainly express some sympathy here, and I, I guess the majority of people in, in my party wouldn't take the same view as me on issues of conscience, shall we say, of that sort. Nevertheless, although sometimes it might be grumpily done, there is a tolerance... Um, and an expectation that I will vote with my conscience 
and I'm, you know, I, I can still retain the whip and be friends with people. It sounds to me that that you felt that that was not a kind of latitude that was extended to you. Well, I mean, the conscience issues date back um, to the previous election, actually, where um, some of the people who were involved in the vetting had openly suggested that I shouldn't um, be a pro-life MP um, within the party. And, and you know, that was widely documented at, at the time. Um, and my feeling is that we have to be very careful because Conscience issues have been designated that in Parliament um, for a particular reason so that people can um, have um, faith and um, they can be engaged in politics and that these issues are, are quite separate to party political issues in a sense. And I just think it's very important that that remains the case and that people from all different backgrounds in terms of uh, religious or um social backgrounds can enter politics because that's the only way we can really be reflective of of the public um and and uh you know at large and and i think yeah as you said those had been some contentious issues um previously and i'd received a lot of support from many different church groups and actually many still write to me um about the importance of um conscience issues in parliament so so i think that that that's that's you know one issue the other one you touched on was the the gender uh recognition uh bill and i i do feel um very um strongly that there should be safe spaces for women and girls i mean i'm a, a mum of two girls i'm a mum before i'm anything else actually that's the most important thing uh to me as i said is is family and um alongside my faith and and you know so I think that that those issues again I felt there was not a lot of listening to people who had alternative points of views in terms of internal uh, party dialogue and and you know I wasn't the only individual who who felt that there was some bullying round about those particular issues other MPs have spoken about um those um, feelings uh, in the past. And so, yeah, th those issues were difficult, but mm. I think there comes a point when when you, th you, you also look at, at things and, and say, well, you know, my health's not, not improving here. Um, there are policy um, disagreements. Um, there, there was also an issue where um, an MP had... Um, been involved in um, a sexual uh, misconduct case against a member of staff and I had said I felt we should have a victim-led approach and, and I felt that was very much frowned upon uh, at, at the time because uh, the, uh, you know, that we were sort of being told at the time, I suppose, to to welcome back the perpetrator. And I've, I'm a psychologist and I felt we should have a victim-led approach. So, um these are these are all things that are in the public domain. So I, I as I say, I I had a long journey of um, lots of different issues um, over time, and then you know there just didn't seem to be a fit there. And also, in terms of um, you know feeling that that nationalism was the solution to the the you know Scottish issues, 
I'd very much um, began to think that actually public services were not improving. I was feeling very exhausted. I felt that Scotland was becoming very exhausted by nationalism as well. And and that actually the things I enjoyed in the Parliament were very constructive things like working across the UK mm. on improving services for people with disabilities as chair of that group. So um, there were many, many issues, um, as you say. Um, the main thing, I think, is that um, I fell back on, you know, the bedrock of um, faith and um, and also family, um, you know, to, to see me through. And I think that, that we do underestimate, even during the COVID pandemic, um, you know, who... Who was it that came and assisted so many vulnerable people? It was our communities, it, it was our church groups, um, you know, right across a multi-faith um, background. And and I think we shouldn't under underestimate or undervalue how just how important that is in, in people's lives. Not everyone may have a faith, but um, that's fine too. Um, and uh, I just think we have to have a very tolerant society so that, that people can yeah. feel free in their religious beliefs here in the UK. A mucky business with Tim Farron. We're talking to Dr Lisa Cameron, MP. Lisa, you said that you felt that Scotland was perhaps exhausted a bit by, by nationalism. I'd be interested to unpick your thinking about independence, whether you still think that's a, a thing Scotland should um, uh, seek to achieve. And then I'll, I'll just tell you something I overheard a Scottish Labour MP saying the other day, and obviously that means I've got a you've got a 50% chance of guessing which one <laughs> um and i remember him saying that um that many of his constituents still favor independence but it's just not their biggest concern now to, to what extent is independence still the defining issue in scotland and in the coming general election in scotland i do think that people are just turning a page on this now um to be honest uh there are so many issues day-to-day -day issues being able to see a gp is very difficult um access to dentistry services i think jamie stone had a, a good debate on that in parliament the other day um cost of living crisis and the economy um all of these issues, uh, education, of course, um, there have been um, some really quite distressing results in Scotland comparatively to, um, you know, international partners in terms of education. And we've always been so proud of our educational standards. And I think all of these issues coming together, people are recognising that actually the focus should be upon day-to-day um, issues uh, that are impacting people's lives and that um, constitutional questions are not always the answers that you seek um, in these situations. Uh, and I, I think that from speaking to quite a lot of people, actually, um, I've been out in a number of constituencies recently um, speaking uh, to voters. I think that that People are turning a page on on nationalism now, um, and uh, looking towards uh, a, a politics that deals with more priority with with their day to day issues rather than constitutional matters. Yeah. Now, of course, it, it's fair to say that there remain you know, quite a lot of Christians who still remain in the SNP, as there are in all in all parties. Of course, one big story, um, which we covered extensively on this show, was uh, Kate Forbes 
bid to be lead of the SNP, um, narrowly missing out to Humzi Yusuf. How did you observe that? Did that have an impact on your decision making? How do you think Kate handled her her leadership bid and and in the and indeed handled the result? Oh yeah, with such dignity, I I really feel that you know, um, Kate Forbes is is an individual who has um particular um strength and fortitude coming through that situation, that process, which I think must have been, um you know, quite traumatic at times, given some of the, the coverage regarding her um, religious views and um, some of, well, the lack of support, I suppose, in some some quarters. Um, some people had withdrawn their support from her candidacy um, because of those views and said that quite openly at the time. So, you know, I think the fact that she did so well um, shows that people respect honesty and integrity. Um, and, um, you know, she came very close, so I think she should um, take great comfort in that. And the main thing is, I think, that she stayed true to herself. Um, and, you know, I think that's that's very important for her um, for now and for the future. And, of course, she had just become a mum herself at the time. And, um, you know, I think... Uh, Everything happens for a reason, um, and perhaps you know, um, it, her time will still will still come in that sense to be to be leader of the SNP at some point in the future. Um, so she's very young, and and I think she has a lot to offer. Yeah, I suspect you're right. Um, <laughs> now we're coming towards the end of our time together, and indeed you're coming to the end of your time at some point this year as a member of Parliament because you've chosen not to stand again and nine years is a is a decent stint all the time all the, all the same i should say um as a member of parliament i guess it's important to consider now what what would you think that you might miss the most when you step down from this place um what i would miss the most wow no one's actually asked me that yet and i think when you're still in the thrust of it you don't particularly have time to, to think about that but what i've enjoyed the most is as i've said the the constructive cross-party, cross-UK working um, on issues like disability, inclusion, um, helping to create the disability internship programme in the parliament. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that type of work, I think, has been very pivotal in terms of showing me that it's it's extremely important um, to be thinking about how to use your skills and your background to um, support progress across the whole of the UK. Um, and, and I think that was another feature of, of my move from, um, from nationalism to, um, you know, to joining the Scottish Conservatives and, and having a whole UK approach and, and, and feeling that I can very constructively um, contribute to that um, moving forward. So, so, yeah, I hope to focus on that over the next year. And I'm sure um, when I return, um, as uh, my expectant plan is to healthcare um, post-politics, that, that I'll be able to do that on the front line as well, because, my goodness, um, mental health services... Um, and inclusion services need additional support. Um, I think, you know, in Scotland, the waiting lists are very, very long now, and um, I, I really want to contribute there on the front line too.
Yeah. They're not great, they're not great in Cumbria either, Lisa. You'd be very welcome in the lakes if you wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Lake District, actually. It's a very peaceful, serene place, and you're very fortunate. It's a it's 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 a very beautiful part of the UK. We're lucky to be there. I mean, I've got a final question for you, which is this. Now, I, perhaps people will ask you this question if they haven't already. But assume somebody at your church, for instance, uh, who's interested in politics comes and asks you, or tells you they may be thinking of standing for whichever party, for Holyrood or Westminster. Um, and as, as a Christian potentially entering politics, what would your advice be to them? Yeah, I mean, I think it. it we need more. Christians in politics and people of faith, actually, um, because I think that that's um, reflective of, of society. Um, we need people of faith as, as well as people who perhaps don't have a faith in, in our political system. And so I would always be encouraging and, and hopefully supportive as well. And I could perhaps, um, you know, speak to them about my experiences and, and why support structures, I think, within um, the work you do in Parliament are, are really crucial and actually why they have so much to give. Um, as I said um, at the start, um, you know, family and faith are, are kind of the pillars um, in my life and uh, they've always um, been there in, in good and difficult times and um, I think that, that they would have a lot to contribute as well, you know, across all parties. I think that's very, very important. Yeah. Well, Lisa, we're we're blessed to have you in Parliament. We really are and have been for these last nine years and blessed to have you on the show again. We're very, very grateful to you. Um, good luck with all the things that you continue to do in Parliament and for being a, uh, a really wonderful witness. So all the best, Lisa. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Each week, we give you the opportunity for you to ask any question you'd like about this mucky business of politics. Now, it might be how an aspect of this world impacts us Christians who work within it, or maybe there's a particular issue that you're struggling to make sense of. Well, I'd love to hear from you and attempt an answer. So please drop me an email to farron at premier.org.uk. This week, James has been in touch and he asks this. My fear for 2024 is that the UK end up directly involved in one of the conflicts around the world. Am I scaremongering or do we need to be praying? Well, of course, the answer to the last um, part of your question is we do need to be praying. When we look around the world, we see many conflicts uh, that the UK could be affected by. But I guess as Christians who believe every single human being is made in the image of God and is therefore of ultimate worth, we should care about conflicts, whether they directly impinge upon the UK's interests uh, or not. Uh, but we certainly look at Ukraine, we look at Israel Gaza, we look at what's going on in and around the Red Sea at the moment. And we see, in some cases, particularly in Ukraine, we see a bully invading a relatively innocent partner. Uh, maybe the UK's involvement in that, in terms of supporting Ukraine, might be greater, might need to be greater if justice is to be done. Maybe one of the things we need to be praying for is that the United States doesn't go cold on its commitment to supporting free and democratic countries against bullies and despots. All the same, uh, as we stand up against bullies, we don't want to move towards bigger conflagrations. There is something about the current era that is reminiscent of that period in the run-up to the First World War. Lots of little conflicts that could all maybe uh, break out into something worse. 
We are told that in the end times there will be wars and rumours of wars. Now, my understanding of end times is that counts as everything since the ascension. Uh, and the end times, well, we might be minutes away or we may be centuries away. We know neither the day nor the hour, but we're promised this trouble. And we're also encouraged to not panic, to put our trust in the God who has total victory. But we should be praying for peace and striving for peace. And we should be praying for our leaders that they will be wise and act um, carefully, sensitively uh, in a way which is obedient to the Lord during these difficult periods so that peace is achieved. If you have a question for Tim, email farron at premier.org.uk. Well, let's end our time together in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for Lisa Cameron. We thank you for her time on our show. We thank you for her service of her constituents and in Parliament. Um, we thank you that you've you sustained her through a difficult period. Uh, we pray that you would bless her relationships with new and old colleagues in Parliament. Uh, and we pray that you would strengthen her and bless and protect her family, give her wisdom and guidance and help her to stay faithful to you and be a strong witness to your truth, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we pray for all members of Parliament, including and especially our leaders, our Prime Minister, leaders of the opposition parties, uh, cabinet uh, members, and indeed leaders of other countries involved over the worrying situation in the Red Sea. And we pray for peace. We pray for justice. Uh, we pray for the upholding of international law. And we pray for our leaders to make wise decisions in the interests of peace, in the interests of justice, uh, not not self-interested, but thinking of the people they represent and indeed the people who might be affected by their decisions. And we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thanks so much for joining us for this week's show. A happy new year, I should have said already, as we return for this new season in January 2024. Don't forget, you can catch up on past episodes which feature interviews with party leaders, former government ministers and MPs from all the major parties. Just search for a mucky business on your chosen podcast provider or head to premier.plus forward slash a mucky business. And we'll see you soon.